0: and everything my name is ezra hill and my co-host casey and i are going to be discussing a wide variety of topics from the perspective of two midwestern middle-aged minds we're not experts just everyday ordinary people like you and we hope you might find our podcast inadvertently interesting and informative hopefully it'll amount to more than a hill of beans and welcome to the Hello Beans, where we dive into intriguing cases that raise thought-provoking questions. Today, we are exploring a tragic and mysterious story that spans over 30 years. The pelly family, also known as the Prom Night Murders. This case is complex, filled with twists and turns, and it's still developing. And without further delay, let's dive into this chilling tale. In the spring of 1989, the small community of Lakeville, Indiana, was about to experience a horrific event that would leave them shaken. It was a quiet Sunday morning when a young girl, about nine years old, and best friends with the pastor's daughter, headed over to the parsonage for breakfast, as they often did. But that morning was unlike any other. The parsonage, the home of Pastor Bob, his wife Dawn, and their two youngest girls, Jolene and Janelle, was very eerily quiet. All the doors were locked, and there's no sign of anyone inside. Meanwhile the church congregation had already assembled at the Olive Branch Church right next door. Concerned, the churchgoers decided to investigate using the master key to enter the home. What they discovered was a horrifying scene that would haunt them forever. Inside the home, they found the lifeless bodies of Pastor Bob, Dawn, and their two young daughters investigators quickly realized that not all the family members were accounted for and their focus shifted to one surviving child who was away from home that night 17 year old Jeff Pelly. detectives questioned Jeff who had been at his high school prom however he hadn't been given permission to attend by his father the pastor who had been very clear about it Jeff said Me and my father didn't get along sometimes. Sometimes I'd be really upset with him, but we always worked things out. I could sit back later and see where he was always coming from. It seemed that the tensions had been high, especially regarding prom. Jeff described how he tried to persuade his father to let him go, and eventually his father relented on the day of prom. On the day of prom, Saturday, April 29, 1989, Jeff had a busy schedule. He worked the early morning shift at McDonald's, washed his car, and watched a baseball game on television. By late afternoon, the whole family was at the parsonage, including Bob, Don, Jeff, and the two youngest stepsisters, Janelle and Jolene. Around 4.30 or 4.45 p.m., a family friend, Kim Oldenburg, visited with her mother and her prom date to show the Pelly family her dress. Kim sensed tension during her visit. Jeff, who was not yet dressed for the prom, appeared very quiet. After a short visit, Kim and her mother left the house around 5 p.m. Around 5.50 p.m., another friend, Matt Miller, stopped by the Pellys' home, but left after a few minutes when he realized he had forgotten his day's corsage at his house. As he passed the Pellys' house again, coming back, he noticed that Jeff's Mustang was still in the driveway. Jeff eventually left the house, grabbed his tuxedo for prom and a change of clothes for the next day. He was next seen at the Amoco gas station at 5.20 p.m., where he had a minor car issue, He called his prom date, Darla, to let her know he'd be running late. At 5.30 p.m., he arrived at another friend's house, changed into his tuxedo, and attended the dance. After the prom, he changed out of his tuxedo at a friend's house and went to the after prom party at a local bowling alley. Jeff even asked Kim Oldenburg if he could join the slumber party at her house that night, which she agreed to. The Pelly household was known for its open door policy, with friends, neighbors, and community members often dropping by unannounced. However, on the evening of the murders, neighbors started to notice something was wrong. Crystal yesterday, a family friend, and her date were expecting Bob and Dawn to visit at 5.30 p.m. to see her dress. When they didn't arrive on time, they decided to swing by the Pelly house on their way to dinner around 5.45 p.m. They noticed that the family station wagon was in the driveway, but Jeff's Mustang was missing. All the doors were locked and the curtains were drawn, which struck them as very unusual because the Pelly family usually left everything open during the day. Neighbors next door called about 7 p.m., asking Bob or Don to let their dog outside. There was no answer. They could see the basement lights on, which was unusual for that time of night, considering the younger girls were usually not allowed to stay up that late. The timeline of interactions and observations of the Pelly family's residence that evening formed the basis of the investigation by the police. It also laid the foundation for the case against Jeff Pelly. The police concluded that the murders must have occurred between 5 p.m. and 5.20 p.m. on that Saturday night. But the question remained, could Jeff really have committed such a heinous crime and then gone out with his friends acting entirely normal? Witness who were there said it was just like that, normal. The investigators focused on Jeff as their prime suspect. He had been grounded by his father, couldn't go to the prom without his dad chaperoning, couldn't attend the dinner beforehand, the after-prom party, or even the amusement park with his friends the next day. Jeff's history of trouble with the police didn't help his case. In fact, the same detective, who had already dealt with him, was now assigned his family's murder case. Detectives believe that Jeff was angry about his father's restrictions on his prom night activities and shot his father in the upstairs hallway before going to the basement where he killed his stepmother and two young stepsisters, leaving three witnesses behind. The case against Jeff seemed to rely heavily on circumstantial evidence. There was no forced entry into the house, suggesting that the perpetrator likely had a key. Furthermore, clothes matching those Jeff was seen wearing just before 5 p.m. were found in the washing machine, although a test couldn't definitely determine if there was any blood on them. The missing 20-gauge shotgun, presumed to be the murder weapon, raised suspicions as no shell casings or the gun itself were ever found. Jeff's behavior was also under scrutiny. Could he really have committed such a gruesome act? and then gone to prom and act like nothing had happened. Jeff's arrest's subsequent trial left many questions unanswered. The prosecution alleged that he had committed the murders, disposed of the shotgun and the shells, taken a shower, put his clothes in the washing machine, and then left for prom with a very narrow timeframe. The defense, however, argued that there simply wasn't enough time for Jeff to accomplish all these tasks in that window. They also questioned the investigators' decision not to search for fingerprints at the crime scene, as no usable prints were expected. Jeff's defense team suggested that this was a convenient oversight, considering Jeff was their prime suspect. The jury deliberated for 24 hours before returning a guilty verdict on all four counts. Jeff, now 34 years old, was sentenced to 160 years in prison. Jeff's legal team, however, refused to give up. In 2019, the Indiana Innocence Network adopted the case and began working tirelessly to uncover new evidence in order to push for a new trial and their efforts started to gain traction. The defense team argued that jurors in the original trial had been influenced by the idea of who else could it be. They believed also this logic also guided the original detective's thinking. But as they continued to investigate, they unearthed new information about Pastor Bob's past suggesting that he might have had dealings with illegal financial activities and organized crime during his time in Florida. This theory led to the possibility that the Pelley family may have been targeted as retribution for these activities. One piece of evidence supporting this theory was the unsolved murder of Bob Pelly's old business partner. Clarence Eric Dawson. In late 1988, just months before the prom night, Clarence disappeared in September after leaving his home to meet a potential investor, and he was never seen again. Clarence's body was found in a shallow grave, shot in the back of his head. No weapon was ever recovered, and no arrests were ever made. Some of Clarence's business partners claimed he had connections to the Detroit mob, although authorities couldn't substantiate these claims. The retired detective assigned to the case believed Clarence's death had all the signs of a mob hit. All these pieces of the puzzle started to form a complex picture, raising questions about the original investigation and trial. Could Jeff have been wrongfully convicted? and could the true perpetrators still be out there? As the case continues to unfold, we're left with more questions than we are answers. Were the Pelly families victims of a criminal operation, and could their deaths have been retribution for their involvement in illegal financial dealings? The tragedy of that fateful prom night in 1989 still haunts the survivors. Like Jeff's stepsister, Jessie, who has published a memoir co-written with a cousin. She continues to struggle with the trauma, but has found support in loving friends and family. Jackie Pelly, Jeff's sister, maintains unwavering support for her brother's innocence and runs the Justice for Jeff website. She believes that her father, Pastor Bob, was lenient and loving, just as she believes he was on prom night. Thank you for joining me today as we explored the mysterious and tragic story of the Pelly family, also known as the Prom Night Murders. As the case continues to develop, we will keep our ears open for any new evidence that may come to light. My name is Casey, and this is The Hill of Beans. If you have any thoughts about this case or any other cases you'd like to explore, let us know. Stay tuned for more thought-provoking stories, and until the next time, take care.